Hey, y'all. It's your girl, Suki. I hope that you're doing something sweet for yourselves and others this week by getting to your honey-do list. Make sure that you check out my latest episode and um, subsequent episodes because I have great things happening um, within this next month. Please be sure to check in with yourselves and loved ones and make sure that their hearts are okay and that we're all doing those heart chores, chores for ourselves. Today, I have special guest, Emily Smith, who is a doula, which is different than a midwife. And that's what we're going to get into today because everyone's had conversations with me this week. And I'm like, I'm not talking to a midwife. I'm talking to a doula, but midwives can be doulas, but we will get into that. (laughs) Emily, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. No problem. No problem. Where are you from? What is your background? And how did you get to the D.C. area? I am from Western Pennsylvania, kind of north of Pittsburgh area, small town girl. Um, and I came to the DMV about 14 years ago. Uh, we actually moved to Alexandria the day that my oldest turned one, very first birthday. She got to blow out her birthday candles uh, in our first house in Alexandria. And we um, currently live in Montclair, Virginia. but been uh in in the nova area for quite some time that's awesome that is awesome i was reading your background and i see here that you've had a couple of um a couple of different things i guess bfar so breastfeeding after reduction what what is what does that mean so um when I was 17, I had breast reduction surgery and the way that that surgery is done, or at least it was done at the time, the doctor said, oh, you probably have a 50-50 chance of being able to breastfeed. But that was, that statistic was just kind of a a shot in the dark. They didn't really know that. They just said, oh, but I was 17. I did have an idea that I may want to have kids someday and might want to breastfeed, but it also wasn't at the top of my mind. Um, so when my oldest was born, I did try to breastfeed, like a lot of people try, maybe not everybody, um, and found out in a really short period of time that I didn't have enough, um, milk ducts left to make a full milk supply. One of the most amazing things about our bodies is that they can heal themselves and reconnect. And so even though as a part of the surgery, they did remove a lot of tissue and completely like sever the connecting ducts over the 10 years between having surgery and having my first child, my body reconnected. And so I was able to make some milk, but it wasn't enough to exclusively breastfeed. So that was a, um, there was a big uh, process to be able to figure out, you know, what do I need to do differently? And so we, uh, we had to supplement with formula. And I always joke that my, with that breastfeeding experience, she got such little amounts of breast milk. It was more like a vitamin, like vitamin M. Like a little Um, vitamin M. It is chock full of antibodies and, um, and all kinds of good stuff. So even though it was a really small quantity all of those antibodies were kind of condensed into a little amount. So I feel like it did give her, you know, boost in the immune system that we know breast milk can have benefits of, but primarily she was formula fed. Um, Okay. You think about, for me, there was a lot of, uh, maybe not everybody feels this way, but there was a lot of grief around not being able to exclusively breastfeed. And I think, um, you know, when our bodies don't work the way that we expect it to, a lot of people, Experience grief for a variety of reasons, whether it's infertility or breastfeeding, or they 
thought they would have a vaginal birth and had a C-section. People experience grief around how their bodies work or not for a variety of reasons. And um, it really hit home or made sense to me, put it in context, maybe like a decade later, I read um, a book about breastfeeding grief. And it, it explained that, you know, before the invention of formula, uh, people would have to share milk, they might have other people breastfeed their babies or their babies would die. And so um, for hundreds of thousands of years, my baby would have died, right? Or potentially died. And so part of that grief is the, you know, what's why. Connecting, knowing what that means of not being able to feed. Oh, wow. That's, it is a lot. I realized that at the time. I didn't realize that that's what that complicated grief was. Really something that's kind of wired into our brains over millennia of what not being able to provide for your child would be. But um, yeah, so it was a process. And I did end up, you know, going on to continue to breastfeed with each of my future children, but I was never able to exclusively breastfeed. But as I mentioned, because our bodies are really amazing and they can connect with each, um, each child after I was able to make more milk um, because our bodies continue to it started. Yeah. So I was able to make more milk, but um, I was never able to exclu- exclusively breastfeed. And that gave me a lot of compassion and insight into a lot of different experiences that other people might have and challenges around welcoming their babies and what that might be like a lot. It gave me a lot of insight and compassion. Well, it's the movies, right? You you have the baby, your milk comes, you're over there just latching and she's throwing her hair back and she's got one kid on one boob and she's telling the other kid to go walk and be careful. And it's like so easy. And then you get in your, your yourself, you have the baby, you try to latch them on and they don't latch. And you're like, yo, just just pop it in your mouth. Just, just do this because I'm supposed to be able to do this and we're supposed to be able to do this together. So- it, it, I had a um, I had a emergency C section, so my milk didn't come, and no one told me that it eventually come. So I was crying, like crying every day. And my mother was like, "Well, I don't know why you want to keep putting that thing in her mouth anyway." And I'm like, "You know, mom, this is what I want to do. This is the journey I wanted to do." Um, and it wasn't until later on that my milk fully came, but it was it was it was a process. So I, that's why um, when you talked about your first daughter, I thought of that. Um, and that was, that is very interesting. I know people would, would love to hear about that. So when did you become a doula? So I had a really positive experience when my oldest was born. Um, I did have a doula, but I did have support. I had my, my husband who was amazing, uh, except that moment when he stole my pillow, when I was fast asleep in between, um, had two best friends, neither of whom had ever had a baby. One honeymoon to drive 10 hours to be there. And the other uh, was pregnant with her first and seven months pregnant and having contractions the whole time she was awake with me throughout the night. So no, I didn't have a doula. I did have a lot of really dedicated support. And um, I, uh, my experience isn't what everybody's positive experiences, but I had uh, my daughter at a freestanding birth center in Tallahassee, Florida. And with a freestanding birth center, it means it's not attached to a hospital, but mm-hmm. really close to the hospital. It was right down the road. So if mm-hmm. we get to the hospital, we could get there really quick, um, but it wasn't attached to the hospital. And in a birth center birth, they check you out for a few hours and then they send you home and you go sleep in your own bed that same day. And so 
oh, um, just an hour or two off out of having a baby. And there was an assistant there, a midwife assistant. She was the one who was a student midwife learning to do the, the healthcare for mother and baby. And uh, they were helping me shower and they were, she was towel drying my shampoo bottle. And I just remember after that experience feeling like, wow, what personalized care, right? If I, that to me was a demonstration of what doula support could be. And so um, my daughter was about three or four months old and I uh, saw a film called The Business of Being Born. It's a documentary by Ricky Lake. It was, you know. Ricky? Ricky, Ricky Lake. Um, there's since been a, a business for too, but the whole film was about the um, the healthcare system and the you know, maternity care industry in our country and kind of that you know that complex. And um, in that film, they talked about doulas, and there was a community based doula program there at the time showing this film, and that was the first time that the seed was planted that wow, I could support other people to have a positive experience, even if that's not what my version of a positive experience looks mm-hmm. like. I could be that support. So soon after that, then I trained to become a doula um, and then started practicing when we moved to the D.C. area. And then Doulas of Capitol Hill was born. You are the owner and creator. Like, oh, my goodness. How amazing. How amazing. Congratulations. That is amazing. Thank you. Someone's knocking on my door right now. I'm on a call. (laughs) No, I'm on a podcast call. You can't talk to me. Can you go talk to me? (laughs) And that is why we have children, so that we can tell them things like that. Exactly. That's <laughs> but everything is really serious. So um, within your group, do you have assistants or backups? Or like if you are called out, is there someone that can be called in? Yeah. So I was a solo doula for about six years. And in the doula, in a lot of care work, in care industry, you know, care work, mm-hmm. pretty high burnout rate. And that is true for um, and I saw that when I started working as a solo doula, their burnout rate for doulas is around two years. And I was able to make it past that working as a solo doula. Um, but there were a lot of drawbacks to um, staying in the profession when I was a solo doula. And one of those was not having a, a fixed backup plan in place. And it was a disadvantage to me, but a lot disadvantage to the clients that I was serving. So if I ever got sick, or unlikely, but if two babies were choosing the same birthday, then um, my didn't have that continuity of care with mm-hmm. that they would have with a, a secure backup. So that was one of the important things that when um, seven years later, when we co-launched Doulas of Capitol Hill was really important in the model of care. So having continuity with one person, because a lot of people are with a big OB practice or a big midwife practice that is a rotating call schedule. So people don't know who the doctor is going to be on the big day at the hospital. Yeah. They don't know the nurses who are changing mm-hmm. and they're coming and going. But the doula is this person who they choose and knows all of their preferences and how they like their towel shampoo bottle to be towel dried. And they're with them throughout the process, but a solid plan in place for the what ifs. Um, the other drawback that I saw to for myself and for my clients was that I don't do all the things. I am a birth doula. I am a postpartum doula. I'm a childbirth educator, um, but I'm not a lactation consultant. Uh, there's, I'm, mm. I'm not a massage therapist. So there are other things that people benefit from when they're having a baby that mm. I don't provide. And so that was another important piece for starting Doulas of Capitol Hill was creating a, 
an organization, a company, an agency that had things built in so that even if people weren't sure if they would need lactation support or not, we're, we're going to yeah. toss the dice and see how that goes. It's built in. So when I was a solo provider, it would have been, here's a phone number or here's a website. Yeah. But now here, it's it's a warm handoff into the support that people may need. What is a doula? So a doula is a person who is non-medical, but we provide physical, emotional, and informational support to people during pregnancy, during their birth, and postpartum. Um, sometimes the word advocacy is offered into the doula conversation, and a lot of that uh, is going to yeah. differently depending on the training organization that the doula trained through. Um, but I believe that the best type of advocacy is not like a lawyer who speaks up on one's behalf, but more someone who helps to amplify the voices of those who heard. And so a doula is not going to say, oh, no, doctor, they don't want that thing right now. It's right here on their birth plan. But um, I remember that was really important to you. Do you have questions for your doctor right now? And now we're bridging the, we're we're creating a relationship, an opportunity for someone to have a voice and talk with their care provider their doctor or their nurse or their midwife about what they want out of their experience in their healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if I had money, I would give everyone a therapist, a doula. I think I would, I would do that for everyone. Cause when you're all alone in that room and that baby is looking at you the day after they're born, uh, you know, the doctor doesn't have time really to sit with you and talk you through what's going to happen. And um, especially if your birth plan didn't go the way you wanted, I wanted to have a vaginal birth and that didn't happen. Um, and I just I just knew I was going to fail at being a mother for the rest rest of the time. It was very, very hard. And just to have somebody on my side would have been great. What's the difference between a midwife and a doula? Well, I kind of touched on it a moment ago. So a midwife mm-hmm. is someone who is caring for health and safety of the yeah. and the baby, um, similar to the doctor's role. Where a midwife yeah. is going to care for people who are in the category of being low risk. So OBs, yeah. obstetricians, gonna, they're trained to deal with complications. So if yeah. someone needs to have surgery, they need to have a C-section, that's who's going to perform a C-section because there's this other complicating factor. Um, and sometimes midwives will work collaboratively with the doctor. There are several practices mm-hmm. in the D.C. area where they are working side by side. And in a lot of places around the world, that's the standard. Um, mm-hmm. U.S., it's not as much. But there are hospitals that have collaborative care practices so that the midwives are seeing the folks who are low risk. And then if at some point in the pregnancy or during the labor or postpartum, there's some sort of complication, then they are collaborating with the OBs. Um, so a doula is someone who enters into the picture in an entirely non-medical way, but mm-hmm. working alongside the healthcare team. And having the best interests of the mom in mind. And, you know, doctors and nurses and midwives, they all get into the work because they care about people, yeah. but they are limited in the amount of time that they're able to spend with patients. And because yeah. we see a lot fewer patients or clients, we call them. Um, and so we are able to stay with our clients throughout the whole process um, and are able to keep in mind not only their physical health, but their emotional health. Um, what did they want out of this experience? Is it going the way that they thought it would? If there are changes of plans um, and things are not going like they thought, like 
wanted a vaginal birth and now they need to have a C-section is someone explaining all of this information to them in the way that they can make informed decisions. And so people's role is to make sure that people have the information they need um, to make their choices about how how things unfold. Wow. That is beautiful. How do people normally get a, a hold of you? Is it through the website? Is it through yeah, a word of mouth yeah, too? That's the easiest thing. I mean, we have clients that a lot of our clients are, are word of mouth because they are someone that they knew had a doula and had a positive experience and they talked about us on a, you know, a listserv or something, but a lot of people just contact us through the website or through our Instagram. Okay. So you mentioned something about postpartum doula. What would you need with a doula after everything? So, so much focus is paid on the day that someone has a baby. Obviously, this is a day that is going to stand out in your mind for the rest of your life. You will remember what happened, how you felt. And there are longitudinal studies that show that the day that someone has a baby is remembered in great detail, even into someone's old age. So Mm -hmm. how someone is treated on that day is really important and the, what they take away from that. Um, but there's so much focus paid on this day that a lot of times people just fall through the cracks after they bring baby home. So all the same ways that doula support for in the birth experience, we support in the postpartum. So physical support, emotional support, and informational support. Um, the advocacy role looks a little different because we're not working in the same room with the, the medical team. But similar, um, helping people to have their voice. So usually people are benefiting from more support in the first few weeks or months as the learning curve is happening. We all know that more hands make the the work light. So having a doula might be practical help, like someone to wash pump parts or baby bottles or fold baby laundry. Um, And for people who don't have family nearby, that's a really important thing so that, you know, partners aren't the ones picking up if there is a partner, aren't the ones picking up everything. But also, um, doulas are supporting the whole family unit. So a lot of people may have heard the term night nurse or night nanny. Um, And those are those are kind of informal terms. They maybe haven't gone through a professional training. So a postpartum doula or a newborn care specialist, they have, they've undergone a, a professional training to support people overnight or daytime. And sometimes that is, the goal is helping families to get more sleep. And that can have a huge impact on mental health. Um, So sometimes people either know that they have pre-existing mental health challenges that they want to prepare for and and prevent and having extra support to get through this learning curve, this challenging time, the the transition is a way that they want to support themselves. Um, And sometimes people don't plan ahead for that. And they realize that they are in the thick of it and they reach out and say, send help now. And then we we send practical daytime help, someone to ask all of the questions and teach you all of the new things like how to bathe your baby for the first time at home. God, it's so confusing. Or maybe it's something like overnight support so families can get more sleep. Yeah. So I think for me, I had so much family during the first two weeks or a couple of weeks, almost almost a month. After that month after when it was just me and baby looking at each other, I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do now? You know? And it was just, it was so much um, energy and then nothing, um, just me and her. So that was a lot to deal with. And I didn't know because I, I did have postpartum depression. I did not know it was postpartum until almost a year after. And I was still in it. 
So it was a nurse practitioner that helped me understand that that's what I was going through. That is such a common experience. One, um, having lots of help in the first few weeks, and then it all dries up and everybody goes home and they all go back to work and you're still in it. Um, so our, our doulas support families throughout the first year because the initial transition is a big one, but there are many other transitions that people experience and that might be, you know, birthing person going back to work or partner going back to work or even other things. There was a few months ago where uh, a mom reached out and her baby needed to have a medical procedure the following morning. And she knew she just needed one good night of sleep before she took her baby in for a medical mm. procedure. That was a, she was like eight months old, right? It was a perfect example of how doulas can support through the transitions in this birthing year. And a lot of people, they see their OB at the two-week visit, and maybe they see them at the six-week visit. There's mm-hmm. a big space in between where people are experiencing perinatal mood disorders like postpartum depression or anxiety or OCD. Um, and these are super, super common. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that everybody has to go through them, but the, a lot of people do. And so having someone there to say, hey, is this, do you want some support? Can I make some phone calls for you? Do you need resources? Uh, it can be mm-hmm. a game changer. So because we, those things can present later on. Yeah, yeah, they can. And then um, you don't know how to talk to people about it sometimes as well, right? Like you don't know how to say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing because you don't know if you're just supposed to push through it or or if you're just complaining. So, so yeah, having someone say, no, this is totally normal. I know other women that have gone through the same thing is, is extremely, extremely helpful. There was something, oh, what is your philosophy about birth? I... As a doula, my philosophy is to support people to have a positive experience. That version is. So maybe when I first started as a doula, there was greater conception that doulas were for a certain type of birth, maybe people who only wanted a natural birth or unmedicated birth. And I would say that most people realize now that that's not true. We support people who have an epidural, people who have a C-section, whether it's emergent or planned or unplanned, all the different possibilities and people who desire to have an unmedicated birth. Uh, so, and same thing for feeding choices, you know, breastfeeding, formula feeding, combo feeding, exclusive pump, whatever, you know, feed your baby French fries, all the things are there to <laughs> their experience, right? And help them to feel um, confident and empowered through that. Um, and a lot of our clients are extremely aware of the health disparities that exist for black birthing people or for people of color. Um, and this is a really big reason people reach out for doula support as well, because they want to have a, a supported experience that's healthy for them and for their baby. Um, and they want someone who's going to be keeping an eye on things so that if they're not going to be having the impact of racism impacting their birth experience or their postpartum or feeding experience. So um, my goal as a doula, my philosophy is to help people in whatever way is right for them. Yeah, that is awesome. I um, I think that people who go into the healthcare industry, doctors and nurses, they do have their, the best, the best um, intentions, but sometimes their training is not exactly good across the board. Um, it was the nurse practitioner who said, we need to have a, a C-section while my doctor who was the same color as me so that I could, I could, she'll be okay. This is not as much pain as she can feel. She, she'll be okay. 
she can experience even more pain. It's not the ultimate threshold. That's And that's from a doctor. It was a nurse practitioner who grabbed the doctor and said, we're taking this baby now. Um, the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck and there was no heartbeat. But the, I don't, and you know, you never know what the doctor was trained to do or say. Um, so I think just just having that nurse practitioner, if I didn't have that nurse practitioner, I, I don't know if Amaya would have been here, but um, just thankful that there was somebody in the room. And I think I think having a doula at that moment, if I would have even known 15 years ago about doulas, I think that would have been that would have been amazing. That would have been awesome. Um, let's see. I think I think that's all the questions I wanted to ask you so far. You've just been such a positive, positive um, person today. And it's just um, so exciting that this is what you have to offer people because you have such a good soul. And I can I just I just know that, you know, Um what are your last few things you want to say and how can people reach you? Mm. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I see people interested in working as a doula or interested in supporting people through this childbearing year. Um, and I, I'm really passionate about seeing people have sustainability in it. And so part of my work right now is um, mentoring other doulas. And so aspiring people who are aspiring doulas, that's an important thing for me. Um, whether they haven't taken a training yet, or they have taken a training and they're looking to try to get started working as a doula. Um, and then the doulas that work within uh, Duels of Capitol Hill and Duels of Prince George's County, mentoring the new doulas as they're coming up into experience is a really important piece. So um, I so I guess like, you know, a closing word, I would invite my word for the year is alignment. So I feel like if anybody out there who is watching this or listening feels like this might be a passion of theirs or an interest, um, leaning into that and um, finding what is right for them in their journey and their mm -hmm. life and perhaps reaching out. And if they're looking into doula trainings of finding out about our aspiring doula mentoring call, that would be a good first step for anybody who's thinking about becoming a doula. Well, thank you. Doulas of Capitol Hill, Emily Smith, appreciate this time you have spent with me and coming on. Come on at any time. If there's something you want to promote or talk about more, we can get into it a little further. I really appreciate that. I, really I appreciate do. you. Thanks for the No problem. Well, y'all, that's it for your girl, Suki. I hope you continue to do something sweet for yourselves and others this week. And make sure that you are touching base with everyone in your life. Talk to y'all soon. And